Good morning. Uh, my name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to present to you the Word of God this morning. This week, we're starting off a new series entitled Spiritual Warfare, and I get to kick us off. Today's verse comes to us from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. I'll be reading the Word of God. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayers and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. You've heard the phrase, out of sight, out of mind. Well, that's spiritual warfare for most of us. Because we often live in the five senses, the spiritual realm is something that we cannot see, that we cannot hear, we cannot taste, touch, or be able to interact with in the normal ways that we live each day. And because of that, a lot of times what we think about when it comes to battles are the battles that we have with other people, flesh and blood. But today's passage takes us to understand that there is a whole nother realm with which we are in a battle. Today, as we launch our series on spiritual warfare, I want to lay a foundation for us as well as to understand what we're called to do in light of this spiritual warfare. First of all, the book of Ephesians uh, has a unique theme of unity in the power of God. The first half teaches us a lot of theology or doctrines about our relationship to God and what he's done for us as he set us free, as he brought us together as both Gentiles and Jews, and how we are to then live. The second half deals with the application of that theology. And what, we're re what we just read here in Ephesians 6 is the end part of this battle of unity, of what we're looking to find with one another as we battle the spiritual forces. So laying the foundation, I want to begin by, first of all, just trying to define what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is an unseen battle that continues in our lives even after Christ's victory on the cross. Its primary battle is to keep the gospel from advancing, and secondly, to keep the church immobilized. In other words, Satan's strategy in spiritual warfare is to keep the lost people lost and causing the believer to stumble so as to be ineffective. Next, we want to understand or discern the battles. 
in the scriptures, we find that there are three things that we battle against. One is our own sin. Second is the world or worldliness, the values and the system or the structures that are in place that battle, that force uh, against the word of God. And thirdly is the devil and his uh, demons, the spiritual enemies. It's hard to discern exactly when we're interacting with any one of them, but oftentimes it's all of them. It's my sin, it's the enemy, and it's the temptations of the world and all the all the challenges that we face as we live in this world. We also need to discern the fight. It is the difference between the visible fight, things that we see, the people we see, the world we live in, versus the invisible fight, the the things we cannot see. The passage I read speaks about the fact that our battle is, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but it, it is against the very rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. These are invisible. These are unseen to us. And yet they are the forces behind the very people and the very challenges that we face in our world. In order to clarify the categories of of evil that Satan uses, uh, I want to refer to an article that was written by Justin Taylor in the Gospel Coalition entitled Spiritual Warfare 101. In it, he distinguishes two different types of evil. The first one is a moral evil, which basically means and speaks of the evil people believe and do. Secondly is situational evil, the evil we experience, namely suffering, hardships, unpleasant or harmful events, and even death. And the two meanings of evil are closely linked as Satan employs both of them for his evil purposes. And so when we, when we are engaging in spiritual battle, we will see not only the battle against moral evil, but also our battle against the situational evil that we experience all the time. When we see our battle as only people, the things that we call flesh and blood, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the principalities and the powers that are unseen. In fact, the enemy enjoys his anonymity of being invisible, and sometimes even not even being believed in. Some people believe in God, but they don't really believe in the things of the dark forces. A little bit of background about Satan and and the demons. First of all, Satan and demons are created angelic beings. They are not equal to God. They were created by God. And And the scripture tell us that they have been cast out of heaven to earth, as Revelations 12 tells us. Satan is described in the Bible as a liar, a tempter, and an accuser. And by his own name, he is one who stands to accuse us, to accuse the people of God in many ways and attacks us through his accusations. We need to remember also that he is not omnipotent, he is not omniscient, and he is not omnipresent. He is a created being And he is limited to time and space just as we are. But we need to remember that he, although he cannot read our minds, he is actually uh, a world-class psychologist and sociologist. He's great at predicting our behavior and sensing our weaknesses. And so we are to understand these things, but that's not what we need to become an expert in. In a book uh, written by William Cook III and Chuck Lawless, uh, in a book entitled Spiritual Warfare, they write, the primary task of the 
spiritual warrior is not to know Satan well. It is to know God so intimately that Satan's counterfeit becomes obvious by contrast. And so as we lay the foundation of understanding who the enemy is and where our battles lie, I want us to learn a few things about what God has commanded us to do as a church and as believers, and also a call to action. The first one is to be strong in the Lord. In verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then after that, verses 11 to 13 continue to speak about the battle that we're really fighting. And within this, we understand that the strength is something given to us by the Lord. It is his strength. It is not my strength. It's not our strength. It is a strength that has divinely been given to us, and we are to be careful not to function in our own strength. What that means also is that as we are, call, are, as we are called to put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able have the power to stand against the schemes of the devil. And what this means being strong is that we are to put on the armor of God uh, in a way that we are able to stand firm. Uh, Cook and Lawless in their book, Spiritual Warfare, continue, and, and, and I quote, putting on the armor involves accepting one's identity in Christ and then living obediently out that identity. As we live out our identity in Christ, it's one of the strengths that God has given. It is our salvation. It is our knowledge of him. It is our transformed identity that has been given to us by Christ's purchase of our own salvation and our lives in, our, uh, uh, in Christ. And it means that as Christians, that we have this new standing with God because of Christ. We are no longer his enemies. We are called his children. And because of that, that means not only is, has our title and our identity changed before God, but it also means that our actions, how we choose to live, how we choose to speak, how we interact with one another, ought to be also in line with our identity. It doesn't mean that we take on the title and then all of a sudden continue to live as we did before. That would be a contradiction of not only who we are, but it would also give the foothold or room for the enemy to continue to attack. Paul goes on to say that our wrestling then is not against flesh and blood. And the strength is needed because Paul describes a, a, a type of battle, a wrestling. And he uses this word that's not talking about a, a battle that is far away, but wrestling, something that's really close and in your face. And so this in this, this battle that's happening right in front of us is a picture that he wants to portray. And so he says this battle is not against the very flesh and blood or people that we see, but rather it's against these spiritual forces in the present darkness and in the heavenly realms. And so to take up the armor of God, as I will define later, it means that we are to take on the whole armor. And there are challenges in people's lives where their salvation is not quite clear. Their relationship or standing with God is not clear. Uh, their hope in the gospel is not clear. The gospel is confused so that they, they are standing more on a works salvation rather than a, a salvation of grace. And so all these things can become a weakness versus a strength to which the armor of God helps us to understand. And so we are to put on the whole armor of God so that we are able to withstand the evil day. 
to understand that the attack is coming. It is sure. But then having done all that we can, we are to stand firm. I want us to understand that the command is not to fight an offensive battle. It is actually rather to hold your ground in a defensive position, to stand firm. Cook and Lawless in their book continues, A significant portion of spiritual warfare is defensive in nature. Satan looks for just the right opportunity to establish a possible foothold in a believer's life. Believers must take a stand of resistance as the devil shoots flaming arrows or flaming darts and attempts to leverage sinful tendencies such as anger, resentment, lust, greed, or fear. The avenue Satan often uses in a believer's uh, life is his closest relationships like marriage, children, work, and the church, which are all mentioned right, pre, uh, right before this Ephesians 6 passage. And he wants to gain an opportunity in these areas and these relationships so that he can attack. And Christians need to be aware of this, being filled with God's spirit and being vigilant, uh, vigilant and alert, filled with God's spirit, fruit, bearing fruit of the spirit, being vigilant. Uh, I'm sorry, being vigilant. And this is referring to verse 18 with all perseverance. This means that uh, it's with intense effort. Uh, it means that it's consistent daily and not sporadically. And so being vigilant means that we are paying attention. We are being alert and staying close to God so that we are aware when another presence, another word or another person is there. So be strong in the Lord is the first command. The second one is to stand firm in the Lord. In verse 14 and following, he says, stand therefore. And then he mentions the six elements of this armor of God. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. First of all, he says, having fastened the belt of truth. Underneath the armor is the belt. And it, 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 is the, it is something that we put underneath that holds uh, some of our clothing together. And what, what we're talking about here regarding the belt of truth, in application, we're talking about the believer regularly uh, reading the word of God, thinking about what it says, praying over it, and seeking to put it into practice. There are a lot of times when we hear the word of God preached or read the passage of scripture as a devotion. But sometimes we're so quick to read or quick to listen, but we don't move forward with the meditation, the reflection, or even the application. And so here we want to make sure that the word uh, is a part of how we are transformed, so much so in our mind that we see more clearly Satan's traps and his schemes, that we are able to utilize God's word as a weapon of defense to ward off his flaming arrows and his attacks uh, in a day-to-day -day victory as we walk with God and as we look at his word. The second part of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I believe this is not speaking about the imputed righteousness of Christ, which is given to us when we trust in him and put our faith in him. The imputed righteousness of Christ means that it is something that we didn't earn, but freely given to us as we put our trust in Christ at salvation. Uh, 
That means when God used to see us, he used to see us in our sin and in our fallenness and in our judgment. But because of Christ now, we are clothed in his righteousness, not clothed in our sin. And so this imputed righteousness is something we're thankful for and we have positionally in Christ. But what I believe this passage is talking about is the righteousness that we find through obedience. When we are living a godly life that leaves no room for the enemy to attack. Because Satan is an accuser, our protection against the enemy is to leave little room for him to accuse. And so the more we're able to grow in Christ's likeness and to live as he lived, it, it is part of the way that we stand firm in our place in Christ and in our salvation. But even when we fail, our righteousness falls short. We have the righteousness of Christ that has been given that covers us and keeps us safe in Christ. The enemy often uses guilt and shame and he will accuse and he will say what kind of a sinner we are. And it's true. There are a lot of times when I know that I've done or said something wrong or thought something wrong. And when thoughts of guilt and shame come, I want us to understand the difference in the voice of the enemy versus the voice of the spirit. The voice of the enemy leads us to condemnation, guilt, and hopelessness. Whereas the voice of the spirit leads us to God's word, to Jesus Christ, our redeemer, to hope and to the gospel truth that we are forgiven for every one of those sins. The Holy Spirit's job is always leading us closer to Jesus, not farther away. And so the righteousness is, a, is something that we wear, something that we are thankful for, and we're able to live out because of what Christ did for us. The third element here in the armor is the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, I know uh, many of us probably have many types of shoes. Uh, shoes for sports, sh uh, shoes for casual wear, shoes for uh, special events. And so probably if you're like me and many others, we have many different pairs of shoes. But the most important shoes that we have need to be the shoes of the gospel of peace. What we're talking about here is not about preaching the gospel. What we're talking about here is not an offensive attack against the enemy, but rather it is the believer's assurance, the peace of mind that comes from our salvation found uh, in Jesus Christ. It is knowing that I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm no longer in, 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 in uh, some type of antagonistic relationship with God. Rather, I'm his child and I have a wonderful relationship with him. And that is why death no longer becomes a fear for the believer. We might be afraid of that event or that experience because it's unknown. But as true believers, we know that there is a hope. We know that there is a God. And we know there is a life that he has given to us that takes us beyond this one. So when you're not sure where you stand with God, you become vulnerable to the enemy and his attacks. The gospel then becomes the traction of our shoes that helps us not to be moved and to stand firm when the enemy brings accusations and questions of our relationship to God. The fourth element is the shield of faith. It's, a, it's ability is the ability to extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And this is where believing in God has, is, 
the very object of our faith, that the faith is as strong or as big as the object of our faith and what we know of him. Our shield is the faith that we have put our trust in God. But when there is doubt or fear or even unbelief, that, that shield continues to draw and grow smaller. In flaming darts of the enemy, sometimes the, the darts may be in the form of a question, a thought, a fear of unbelief. Does God care for me? Does God really love me? Does God have power, the power to really help me? The shield of faith reminds us that God does care. He does love and he does have power. And all of these things have been answered for us on the cross. That God has the power to save us. That God cares about each of us and has given us an opportunity to hear the gospel, believe in the gospel, and then have this amazing relationship to God himself that we ourselves could not have purchased or could not have found. Believers are to be weary of laying aside the shield of faith and attempting to fight the battle in our own strength. And so it's important that uh, we understand the application of this as prayer. That without prayer, we try to do ministry without really acknowledging God's power and presence. And when we try to attend an event, uh, when we try to attend a retreat or a conference... Those things may inspire us, but really the spiritual strength is not ours. It's actually someone else's. And so the challenge that we think as we see here is that the shield of faith really needs to be something that is our faith, not our parents' faith, not my pastor's faith, but my faith. The fifth part of this armor is the helmet of salvation. The Roman soldier has a picture of a skull cap with either leather or cloth covered by bronze. The helmet of salvation is to protect our head. And it is the most significant one because it is the helmet of salvation. Again, if you are confused about the gospel and and of your salvation, and you think that it's something that you have to work for and earn and try to tip the scales of your sin versus your righteousness, then you are constantly in this fear and you are constantly prone to the attack of the enemy. Whereas the gospel of salvation that speaks of God's grace and mercy purchased for us without having done anything. This is a security that has been given to us by God and it has been secured through Christ and his work on the cross. A salvation of works leads to stress, uncertainty and attack from the enemy. A salvation of grace brings peace and security. The last element here is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when we, when we hear the word, the word of God, many of us probably think it's referring to the Bible. But this reference to the word of God is not the Bible, but rather the word that is in your heart that you can recall and speak when necessary. This is not about the preaching of the gospel, but speaking God's word against his foes. The spoken word of God is the instrument of the spirit that he uses, that he allows us to recollect and use at moments when we feel uh, depressed, when we feel saddened, when we feel doubt or fear. 
If you recall Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, he used God's word and he spoke it against the devil's temptations. And he was able to stand firm and remain faithful to the Father's calling. It is this word that you and I as Christians are to eat, to digest, and to be able to use at significant moments. I, I want to encourage you to consider what it might mean to memorize God's word. That memorizing God's word gives us an opportunity to be able to think and recall and even reflect on God's word. And so, Christian, have you put on the whole armor of God, the shield of faith, your sword, your breastplate, your shoes, your belt, your helmet? These are all significant parts of how God has equipped us to be guarded and to be able to ward off the evil on the last day. So not only are we called to be strong in the Lord and stand firm in the Lord, but we are to thirdly battle through prayer. In verses 18 to 20, the application of prayer is very profound and it is, it is very explicit. After describing the entire armor of God, the Apostle Paul immediately goes to the action of praying. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And as he says this, I want you to note that there are two types of prayer. First of all, praying at all times in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit of God, where we pray in the name of Jesus in accordance with his will and his nature. That we want to pray in likeness as Jesus prayed. With all prayers and supplication. If you've been a part of our uh, monthly prayer meetings, one of the prayer meetings, Pastor Daniel Penn led us in a prayer uh, series of topics that were uh, spelled out through the acronym ACTS. It was a prayer of adoration, it was a prayer of confession, it was a prayer of thanksgiving, and it was a prayer of supplication. The word supplication means the request that we make on behalf of others. And so here, it's not only just praying at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayers, but it also means making supplication or requests of intercession for the saints. Cook and Lawless in their book, Spiritual Warfare, write, writes, Prayer may be the believer's greatest and most effective way of wielding uh, the weapons of spiritual warfare, especially when it involves intercession. Paul instructed the Ephesians to engage in persistent spirit-led prayers like a relentless assault. And here's the key. Believers must be alert and persevering because intercessory prayer is truly fighting on behalf of others. You know, when I read that, I really thought about what it means to be praying for others. When people share prayer requests with us because they're struggling, because they're going through some battles, whether it's physical or spiritual or both, that these prayers that we make on their behalf is how we battle. Not only do we bring them before the, the requests and their names before the throne of God, we also, in prayer, engage in spiritual warfare through prayer. As we lift them up, we are able to also fight on their behalf. And finally, the Apostle Paul speaks of two requests. At the end, he says that words may be given him 
to make known the mystery of the gospel and that Paul would be able to speak boldly as he ought to speak about the mystery of the gospel. This brings to mind that we also need to be very mindful of interceding and praying for our missionaries, for our pastors who preach weekly, for those evangelists who are preaching the gospel regularly, and even for our small group leaders who are facilitating and leading discussions or teaching and helping people to learn more about our faith, our God, and the gospel. What's interesting is that Paul knew the importance of prayer and intercession because he asks the Ephesian church, by the way, please pray for me. And what's, what's so cool and interesting is that Paul didn't ask for release from prison or release from all the situations that was happening. Instead, he asks for boldness, boldness to preach the gospel and the words to be able to proclaim it faithfully. One of the beauties of prayer is that we remember where power lies. I want to submit myself to the power of God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It is, it is important for us to understand, and as we pray, we are submitting ourselves to God. It's one of the ways that we truly say, God, I don't have power, and you do. I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. And so I'm going to resist the temptations. I'm going to resist the flesh. I'm going to resist the things that I hear from the world. And I'm only going to hold that which is true to your word. I'm going to test all of life. I'm going to test my heart. I'm going to test my values. I'm going to test my dreams. And let them go to the filter of your word. And so resisting involves submitting to God. Refusing to comply to the temptations of the devil. And putting on the armor of God, committing oneself to obedience to God's word, praying for strength. And then when it's prolonged and you feel weakened, that you are willing and humble enough to ask for intercession from others. To stand firm then, I want to summarize something that Justin Taylor in his article steps to a far more powerful way that he wrote. And it's a great article, but instead of reading through and summarizing a bunch of things that he said, I'm going to summarize it in four thoughts. First of all, be in God's word to know God more and to find refuge in him. It, it means that as we engage in God's word, that's one of the ways that we find strength to stand firm. That we learn more about who God is and his power. That we find refuge in God and not in TV or sports or vacations or even sleep. That we learn to think and see correctly by being regularly in God's word. And by the way, for those of you who are married or have children, I want to also remind you that this is important not just for yourself, but for you to share with your spouse as well as with your children that you help them to develop the discipline of being in God's word daily because that is part of the way that we stand firm and are able to withstand the attack of the enemy. Secondly, be in community as we were never meant to fight alone. This week is the launch of our small groups. And I, I hope that every one of you listening are in a small group. And if you're not, it's not too late to sign up. But I want you to understand that as we battle, the church in Ephesus were to battle together. It was never an individual battle. Although we experience the warfare individually, collectively we stand together. 
Thirdly, practice regular times of introspection and ask God for help and reveal, to reveal what you cannot see. There's a beautiful prayer in Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. And the psalmist David says this. He prays this after acknowledging God's sovereignty and how he was created. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is David's cry to long to know himself better, even motives and things that he cannot see that God sees. And he wants to see what God sees. And we and one of the wonderful things that we do on a weekly basis is to practice our confession that when God reveals our sin, when God shows us our sin and our weaknesses and areas of disobedience, that instead of trying to excuse ourselves or make excuses, that we confess them and that we agree with God and that we embrace the fact that I need to grow and change by his power and by his spirit. And fourthly, to be faithful to God and not to your pride and sin. You see, the enemy knows your weakness and he knows what you're prone to sin in. And therefore, he's going to bring those constantly into your life. And the way we stand firm then is to be faithful to God. But I want you to understand that this faithfulness is not just because you're so diligent and you're so strong. I think it's really more about a greater love. You see, sometimes when I don't want to do things or I I feel weak, I think about my family. I love them. And where I find strength is in a greater love for them to keep going, to not quit. And I want to say to you that it's not just your family. It's your love for God, for Jesus Christ. That the more you realize how much we've been forgiven, how much we've been uh, saved from our sin, from sin and death, And that we understand this, our love grows. The power to resist the enemy comes from this greater love. And all this is possible because of what Jesus did. We're no longer enemies of God. We're not not like the fallen angels anymore, living in the destined and destruction and judgment. But God sent his son, a redeemer, to purchase us. And he not only purchased us, but he sent his son to be on that cross and become sin for us. So he became all that was despised in us so that we might be loved and blessed by God. Christian, I want to encourage you today to be aware of the enemy, but to be even more aware of this God who loved us and gave his only son for us. And by this, to stand firm in the very armor that he's given to us through our salvation, through our faith, through our knowledge of him, through his word, and through prayer. And so I hope that with love and gratitude that you will stand firm and that you will put on the full armor of God. And when you can recall and when you can, kneel with your family in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this word. I want to thank you so much for your grace and mercy. And I pray that as we continue to think about what you have spoken through this word, not only to the Ephesian church, but to all of us who read this letter, would you remind us that you have blessed, you have given us the gift of eternal life, and you've given us of your strength, you've given us 
of this unseen armor that we can put on so that we can stand firm against the enemy. For those who may be watching or listening, who are struggling in their faith, who feel such a weakness, I pray that you would be their strength and you would give them your strength. I also pray that you would help every family, every marriage, and every relationship, every workplace, every parent-child relationship, Lord, that you would help us to fend off the attack of the enemy and to live in a way that is honoring to you, is pleasing to you, and it is accordance with your word. And I ask that you would also teach us to be very prayerful, not only prayerful for one another, but prayerful continuously and ongoing with many different types of prayer, of thanksgiving, of adoration, of confession, and of interceding requests as we make our requests before you, as we battle for one another. May your name be loved and honored. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.